If you have a Bible, I invite you or a device to turn to John chapter 19, and we're going to begin there, and then into chapter 20, the resurrection chapter. What's your story? If you were to tell your story to us today or to people, what would your story be? Like, who are you? What do you do? What's the most important thing or things in your life? What are you living for? What's your story? Today on this Easter Sunday, there are millions of people around the world on all seven continents, different ethnicities, different races, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, who will say, my story is connected to another story. That I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again the third day, and he's the most important thing in my life. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with the story of Jesus, the part of miracles and the resurrection of Jesus, and you're like, I don't think I can believe that. Smart people really don't believe that, do they? Well, they do. In our world, at the top universities and professors and other people around our world who are very smart and brilliant, believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. There's even scientists who are at the top of their disciplines around the world, top universities in the world, who believe that there was a guy who lived and died and rose again the third day. They believe the claims about who Jesus said he was, and they believe the historical record about him. Their story is about Jesus. When we read the Jesus story, we have to make a decision. The Bible is 66 books all telling one story. And when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read that he makes outrageous claims about himself. That if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, that he is the I am. He claims to be God. He claims to be the light of the world, the bread of life, what life is all about, the way, the truth, and the life. He claims that he has the power and the authority to forgive our sins and to raise us from the dead. He makes all of those claims. And today, please grasp this. He either is who he says he is, or he isn't. He either rose from the dead, and every single word he says is true, or he didn't rise from the dead, and we should not listen to a single word that he says. There's no middle ground. And so today, with your story, you have to decide, do I believe in Jesus? Is he what my life is about? Or don't I? There's no middle ground. 2,000 years ago, there was a follower of Jesus named John. He lived uh, on the, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. There were a number of fishing villages in that day. And Jesus one day called him to follow him. And for three years, he followed Jesus, believing like any Jew in that day, in the first century, that there was coming a Messiah, someone who could come and help 
the Jews so that they could push out the Romans in the land. And he, like the others, believed that Jesus was this king, this one that was going to do that. But he records for us and documents for us that Jesus actually didn't go to a throne in Jerusalem. He died and he rose again three days later. And John is not the only one who documented the life of Jesus and his resurrection. John is not the only one who went around saying he rose from the dead. And by the way, that is central to the Christian faith. Again, if he rose from the dead, everything he said is true. If he didn't, it's all a sham. He's a terrible imposter. So there's Matthew who's Jewish, and John who's Jewish. There's Mark and Luke who are Greek. There's Peter, a follower of Jesus. There's James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe any of the claims Jesus said while he was alive. But later, he shows up as a leader in the church of Jerusalem, saying that Jesus is his Lord, and he dies for his faith. There's Paul, who hated this movement so much. This is in history. Hated this movement so much that he tried to stamp it out but he is converted and he becomes a follower of Jesus and he goes like the rest of those first followers proclaiming he rose from the dead he rose from the dead and that changes everything when we talk about the story of Jesus we need to understand there's three historical facts so these are uh, scholars will tell you these these three things are true number one Jesus existed Jesus existed Jesus of Nazareth number two He died under the reign of Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, under the emperor. At that time, it was Tiberius. There's Julius Caesar, then there was Octavian and Tiberius. But he died under Pontius Pilate on a cross under his rule. That's a second fact. And then thirdly, his first followers had something happen to them that changed everything, that that they just went throughout the Roman world. And we believe it was seeing the risen Christ that changed everything for them. So today, for you, whether wherever you are in the spiritual spectrum, whether you uh, don't know if Jesus rose from the dead, you don't care if Jesus rose from the dead, you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, or you do believe Jesus rose from the dead, wherever you are, The claims of Jesus force us to make a decision about him. And so John is going to share with us, decide to believe, decide to make Jesus and his life your life. And he wants us to know that this story of Jesus is a true story, it's a bigger story, and it's a better story. Yesterday I was driving in the car and flipping around the radio and a a woman came on and she said, Um, Hey, what are you watching on Netflix these days? Could you let me know? Send in some recommendations. And she said, because this whole week, you know, my daughter's at grandma's, and I got the whole weekend to watch Netflix. Now, I think there's a good show on Netflix. Have some popcorn. Enjoy that. But on Easter weekend, that's the whole thing? Is that all there is to life, is watching Netflix having a Spotify playlist, maybe having a holiday at the cottage or camping, having a job, maybe, you know, have a family, maybe not, and then get old 
get wrinkles, maybe you don't hear quite as well, don't see quite as well, not as strong as you used to be, and then you die, and you don't see anybody anymore, and uh, in a few generations from now, nobody knows you ever, ever existed. Is, is that all there is to our little story? Friends, today, there is hope for all of us that there is a better story. Whether you are going through terrible things right now in your life and, and it's so overwhelming and the pain is so hard you can't describe it, or whether things are going really well for you or you're somewhere in between, there is hope for each of us because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 19, and John is going to share with us some details. Now, John is looking back about 55 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he's an old man. All the other followers, disciples had all died off, and he's an old man recording this for us or reciting it to someone who recorded it for us. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Here's the story of Jesus. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So John doesn't go into details about the crucifixion because everybody in the first century knew what a crucifixion was, and there were thousands of people who died on, on crosses, on Roman crosses. And then from there, he begins to detail what happened in the next few moments at the foot of the cross. And then he stops writing those details, in a sense kind of pauses to make this statement. And here's what he says, verse 35. The man, writing about himself, who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. John, okay, we understand Jesus died on a cross. We get it. But John's not particularly alluding to the crucifixion. He's alluding to what's next. You're not going to believe this, but it's true. I saw it. I was there, and he's going to write the details of what happened next so that, not that we will simply know what happened on a day 2,000 years ago, but so that we can believe in Jesus as well. So we don't know what John did on Friday night, the beginning of the Passover, when Jesus was placed in a tomb, and we don't know what happened on Saturday, the Sabbath, and we don't even know what happened on Saturday night. When the Passover, uh, when the Sabbath was over. But John tells us what happened first thing Sunday morning. Chapter 20, the resurrection chapter. And we read this early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, gotta love that, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Mary Magdalene was at the foot of the cross on that Friday, and she was heartbroken because she loved Jesus. She had a, a past, and there's speculation as to what exactly was in her past. She had a terrible past, and Jesus had forgiven her, had healed her, and she was with a group of women, with the disciples, who followed Jesus around, believing that he was the promised Messiah. 
and she loved Jesus. He had changed her life. In the first century, Mary Magdalene was a woman, and a woman was just a notch above cattle and slaves. They were inferior to men. And because she had such a past in an honor-shame culture, she was at the bottom of the barrel. She was unworthy. Like, people would just, like, look at her. And Jesus had changed her life. Jesus treated her as an equal. The Christian movement is the most multi-ethnic, multicultural, women-affirming movement in all of human history. And women and their equality doesn't, uh, isn't traced back to the Constitution. It's traced back to God. He made women and men in his image. And this woman, Mary Magdalene, was valuable. And Jesus changed her life. So Friday, she's at the cross, heartbroken. And first thing, Sunday morning, four watches in the Jewish calendar. This was between somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning while it's still dark. She makes her way to the tomb. She wants to be where Jesus is. Even though he's dead, he, she wants to be there. She goes there, and she finds that the stone's been rolled away from this cave. And so she rushes back to tell Peter and John and the disciples. She says, putting one and one together, somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. They have stolen. Now, in that day, please understand this. Nobody believed in a personal resurrection. The Greeks in the first century believed that the soul was good and the body was evil. There was no resurrection. And the Jews believed that there was a general resurrection at the end of history, at the end of time. But Mary Magdalene was not expecting first Jesus to die and then to be raised again the third day. And neither were the disciples. Sometimes you might, we might read it and we think, oh, first century, they were primitive. No, they were not likely to, be the, uh, to believe in a resurrection. In fact, uh, we see that not one of those disciples was at the cave on Saturday night after the Sabbath doing the countdown, you know, 10, 9, 8. He's going to come back to life. No, their lives were, it was over. The movement was done. And so she rushes back to them and tells them they've stolen the body. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, John referring to himself, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You got to love that, right? John, just let the record stand. When we went through Jerusalem, I outran Peter. Just so you know. The resurrection race, I won it. John telling us that he outran Peter to the tomb, also tells us something else. Verse 5, he bent over, speaking of himself, and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Went to a cave in, the, in um, Jerusalem that they believed, oh, this could be the cave where Jesus was laid. Not sure, probably not, but it was in that area. And you've got to kind of look down into this dark cave. John looks on that Sunday morning. He's not going in. It's dark in there. Like, he's, he's not going in. And he's going to tell us that Peter comes and goes in first. In other words, Peter is the bold one. I'm the faster one. Peter's the bolder one. But here's the point. 
or here's, this is what's curious or interesting. Why did John write that Peter went in first? Hey, you're, if you're making this up, be the hero of the story. One of the things as we read through the eyewitness testimony, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we understand that it doesn't read like oral, fictional oral tradition, like it's a myth. It reads like eyewitness testimony. Why would John say that Peter went in first? Make yourself the hero. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples, they're just like you and me. They're flawed. They don't understand things. They don't get it. They're not the heroes. And why, when they write, do they say that women, Jesus appeared to the women first? If you are inventing a story in the first century, that's counterintuitive. Because women in that day didn't matter, and their testimony in court wasn't valid. So why include that strange detail that women saw Jesus before men? And why, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts, are there some things that you're trying to put them together? It's not all smoothed out. Why are we reading from four different lenses? If you were to go camping, uh, let's say you, if you had a family camping with your family and you returned from your trip, hey, what was it like? Tell me. Well, there would probably be some basic facts that you would have together, but, but maybe the person driving would say, uh, the father or the mother, traffic was terrible. We had to wait. We, were st we stood still for an hour. The traffic on the 400 was horrible. And the little girl in the family would say, oh, we had ice cream on our holiday. I had three ice creams. And then a son something else, and the other person something else. And in the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not smoothed out. And then why would you ever say that Jesus rose from the dead? Because nobody believed in a personal resurrection. Either side of Jesus for 100 years, either side... There were 12 known movements where someone said, I'm the promised one, you know, that our ancestors talked about that would rule and, ro that would rule and, and be the leader and out, uh, oust Rome. I'm the Messiah. And each of those movements, the founder all died, and either a son or a brother, somebody took up the movement for a little while, and then it petered out, and it was no more. But yet with Jesus in this movement, they start talking about a resurrection. Why do you tell women are first? Why do you make yourself out not to be the hero? Why is it kind of like there's different things going on? Could it be that that's the way it happened? Gary Habermas and N.T. Wright are probably the top two scholars on the resurrection of Jesus in the world today. And Gary, Gary Habermas says that more and more, as we find more and more archaeological finds that confirm the Bible, the people, place, and events, that the record for his life, death, and resurrection, it grows stronger and stronger. The case gets stronger. So John says, I outran Peter to the tomb, but I didn't go in. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Why? Because he's Simon Peter. Do you know someone like that? That personality? Right, just, they're in. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. 
the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. What he wore on his body, what he wore on his head, they were lying there. This verse came up uh, about a week or so ago in our house. Um, we were in the kitchen, my wife and I, and um, we're hosting some family uh, for dinner today, Christmas dinner. And so I said to her, uh, I said, uh, Lise, can you make sure that these folders, there's a bunch of folders on our kitchen island, can you make sure these folders are put away before Easter? And she said, yeah. When Jesus rises from the dead, he doesn't want to see these folders sitting there. And I said, exactly. He wants everything neat and tidy. To which she said, and we know this because after Jesus rose from the dead, he folded his linens. <laughs> now, Jesus is a single guy. If you're a single guy, what is that telling you? Mom was right, make your bed, neat and tidy. Peter looks in, it's not messy. And here's the thing, as John writes this, it's like if someone was going to steal the body, they would take the body, they were grave robbers, they would take the body just and go. They wouldn't take the time to disembalm or unembalm a body. And in the first century, with Jewish uh, burial customs, what they did was when someone died immediately, they cleaned the body, and then they put this gooey um, substance on the body made of aloe and spices. And then after they had all of this gooey substance on the body, they'd wrap the arm with linen, they'd wrap the other arm, they wrapped one leg, the other leg, and then they wrapped the whole body together. And then they would put on a separate cloth for the headpiece and wrap the head. So when Peter looks in, there is the linen. It's like that it, this, it had hardened. It was like, a, you know, a tire that's flat. That's what they saw, just the linen that Jesus had around his body. And then also the headpiece that he wore. And again, it was folded separate. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first. Okay, John, we get it. You reached there first also went inside. And then here's what he writes. Here it is. He saw and believed. He put one and one together. When Jesus had talked briefly about him dying and being raised the third day, it went over John's head, just like it went over everybody's head, because he wasn't expecting the Messiah to die or to be raised. And in that cave, he put one and one together and it says he believed. And that resurrection changed his whole world. His entire story changed. It reframed everything in his life. Everything Jesus said was true. He really was God in the flesh. He really was the light of the world. He really is the way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He really meant it when he said, if you refuse to come to me, you won't find life. If you refuse to believe in me, you'll die in your sins. That Jesus really is telling us the truth when he says one day he will judge the world and that each one of us here in this room 
will stand before him and see him as either savior or judge. And we don't understand how that's all going to play out. But if he rose from the dead, he's telling us the truth. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus in the Bible, 66 books making one story, it goes like this that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that at one time, our universe, we know, had no, it, 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 it had a beginning. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but at one time, there was no space, no matter, no time, nothing. And the God who created all things spoke creation into existence. And by the way, scientific tools today, as we continue to advance, point more to a God than away from a God, the complexity of our universe. But this God made everything, but he made you and me in his image. That you, we, are the pinnacle of his creation. If you're not familiar with the Jesus story, let that just sink in, that you matter to God, like Mary Magdalene, you matter to God more than anything else in God's creation. And he is a God of life, not of death. He created you to live with him forever and ever in a relationship with him, that he would love you for all eternity. But in the Bible we read that God making us as human beings have a free will and we chose, instead of loving God, we chose to disobey God and go our own way, what the Bible calls sin. And the result of that sin, the consequences, are suffering and death. And that's why we look on the news every day and it's just one bad thing after another, it seems. This world is not as it should be. But that God that made you and me and loves us so much decided to come and save us. It's his eternal plan the story of Jesus is God's eternal plan to save sinners. And so God took upon himself human flesh in the person of Jesus, lived the perfect life so he could die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Now, I want to pause just for a moment. If you're here today and you say, I don't need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I don't believe in a God who judges I want to encourage you, just think that through, though, for a moment. A God who doesn't judge us. In Ukraine today, we see on the news atrocities. Civilians being killed in the street, a bullet to their head. Others talking about torture. Others sharing, women, sharing about sexual violence. And just what is happening over there. Not just there, but 50 out of our 200 countries in the world at, at any given time have human rights abuses going on. It's just everywhere. And we're thinking that God won't judge anybody, that he's just kind of like indifferent, sweep it under the carpet. No, the God of scripture, the God who is, is holy and he loves people. And because of his holiness and his love, he has to judge sin. Nobody's killing anybody else and getting away with it. But he has to judge not only the big sins, but all the other sins as well. And you and I, we've all sinned. Somebody has to pay for that sin. And this God came and took your place on a cross, the judgment for all your sin, and he took it upon himself. That's how much he loves you. But the story doesn't end there. This same Jesus that died on a cross, was crucified, rose again the third day. 
And John saw that he really was who he said he was. And what John wants you and I to know is not only that it is a true story, but the story of Jesus is a bigger story. On one level, we're living our lives in the lower story. But in the upper story is God's story, saving people from their sins so they could live forever with him. In our lower story, we go through life asking the fundamental questions of life, although right now, by the way, next to sleeping, research has just come out, the thing that you listen to the most or impacts you the most are messages from media, right? We're just constantly consuming media. And media, in our story today, the story is all about you. You've got to find your identity, who you are. You have to find your purpose in life, come up with something, and then live your story. And we have to ask the question, is that all there is? Just that little story? And John is telling us, no, there's a bigger story going on. And I saw it, and I believed it. The fundamental questions of life, the question of origin, where did I come from? The question of purpose, what's the meaning of my life? The question of morality, how should I live? And then fourthly, the question of destiny, what happens after I die? In the smaller story, we're told, we don't know, just live how you want to live, just do your life. In the bigger story, those questions are all answered in Jesus Christ. You are made by him and for him. And the purpose of your life is that he is the main character in your story. You're living for him. And morality, you're not perfect, and we all struggle, we all sin, but, but you're, you're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. And then when it comes to your death, you're not afraid of death. Yet there's you know, fear that you have to work through, but you're going to see Jesus. There's a bigger story going on. John said, I saw and believed. And then he records, as we read through chapter 20, he records what happened after seeing the tomb. That he and Peter go back, and later that night, Jesus appears to the disciples, alive. But there's someone not with them, someone we know as Thomas. And so John continues to give us these details in this account. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, he was a twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Why wasn't Thomas with the other disciples? Probably, we're speculating, but probably because of his personality. Do you know someone that like, they just feel things very deeper, deeply and it just impact, impacts them in a very dramatic way? Thomas probably wasn't with the others because he just wanted to be by himself. Jesus, who he'd followed for three years, the story was over, he was heartbroken, and he just wants to get away from everybody. But then, some of those first followers of Jesus come, and they reach him, and they say, we've seen the Lord. So Thomas makes his way back into Jerusalem, and here's what he said, verse 25, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, who can blame him, right? He saw someone die on a cross. I'm not believing. Now, his refusal wasn't so much, 
yeah, there was a bit of maybe skepticism there. But it was also to do with the fact is he had gotten his hopes up that Jesus was the Messiah. And he didn't want to get his hopes up again. And then John records this a week later. Here's what he says happened. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. So somewhere we believe in upper Jerusalem. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he would have said that because they were scared out of their wits, right? This guy had died. He's alive. Peace be with you. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Then he says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, in the Greek, that doubting is it's a little stronger than that. Stop doubting and believe. As a follower of Jesus, can I have some doubts? Of course I can. There's times where, ooh, I'm not quite certain. You know, if a God loves us, how come there's so much evil and suffering in the world? Does, does, is he really in control? It's okay to have doubts. We, we have to question, and I'm not quite certain about this or that. But it's another thing to have unbelief where it's like, I just don't believe. Now, Thomas, it's been over a week where the disciples have said, hey, we saw him, he's alive. And he's like, right, I'm not believing you. And then another day passes, right? I'm not believing you. And in time, there was unbelief. He was confident in his unbelief. And what Jesus says to him is, Thomas, stop your confident unbelief and believe. And here's how Thomas responds. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Not only does Thomas confess that Jesus is who he said he is, he's God, but he says, my Lord and my God. A Jewish person would never, ever say to another human being, Jesus is fully God, fully man. You're God, I worship you. But Thomas did. And notice he says, my Lord and my God. Because it struck Thomas not only the power of Jesus, but the love of Jesus. Thomas, Jesus didn't say to Thomas, Thomas, you didn't believe, I'm sorry, but you gotta live with that decision forever and ever. No, Thomas, it's okay, you didn't believe, but still come, I want a relationship with you. And that's hope for all of us, because we all struggle with so many things. Thomas, it's okay, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says, Thomas and you other disciples, you've seen me. You're going to take this message into the, the world. But Jesus, looking down through human history, says there's going to be people that haven't seen me and yet they believe. And notice he says they're, they're blessed. Now, when we look on the news in the lower story, there are Christians around the world being persecuted, some being imprisoned, some being killed, and we can say, they're not blessed. In the lower story, it looks that way. But in the upper story, because they have Jesus, they have eternal life. They are blessed. Uh, I saw an image just in the last week or so on the news and it was outside the, some bomb departments in Ukraine. I'm not sure the city, I can't recall. But in front of one of the apartments was a cross, and it was about this big. 
And they said that this cross was there because some woman had left her apartment and while she left, uh, a, a, a missile or a bomb had hit and killed her. And someone had to put a cross where she died. So I ask you, what's the symbol of the cross mean? Is it simply a symbol of execution? Oh, this woman was executed right here. No, the cross also means it's a symbol of hope. That death has been conquered. Death is not the end. There's an upper story going on. And John wants us to know it's a true story, it's a bigger story, but it is a better story because Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen me and have believed. And being a follower of Jesus with your story is not simply, oh, at the end of life, I'm going to get to live forever. But it's also walking through life with Jesus. And the more you understand Jesus, and if, you, if you're wondering, like, how do I understand him better? Grab a Bible and start with the Gospel of John and read about him. But as you begin to talk to him and you begin to learn about him, he wants to fill you with his love and his peace and his joy. He wants you to go through life knowing that you matter so much to him that he died on the cross for you, that you are loved and you're blessed when you know that because then you can stop trying to get people to like you and love you and please tell me I'm worthy. Please tell me I matter. No, I matter. I'm loved because of Jesus. And then his peace. Is anybody in control of my life? Look at all these things that have happened. And you put your lower story in the context of the upper story. And you say, at the end of the day, Jesus is caring for me. He's in control of every single thing in my life, good or bad. We know that all things, whether they're good or bad, are working for our good as followers of Jesus. And there's a joy as well, his joy, knowing that, yeah, there's grief and there's tears and things aren't right, but at the bottom of my heart, I belong to Jesus. And he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. That you go through life with this joy, that no matter what happens to you, you're going to see Jesus and be with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And so John shares what Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet they've believed. And then he gives the invitation to all of us, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Listen, I've laid out the evidence for you. I've documented all of these things so that for you. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I didn't tell you everything about Jesus, but I told you enough so that you can believe, you can put your weight, your faith on, trust in Jesus, who is the Messiah, the promised one, the one promised from the beginning, and he is the Son of God, God in the flesh, and that by believing, you have life in his name. What's your story? If your story is connected to the Jesus story today on Easter Sunday, listen, celebrate. You've got life eternal. Not just simply because you hope it's so or you wish it's so, because if Jesus rose from the dead, it's true. And John says you can believe that. And then today, if Jesus is not in your story, you've got to make a decision, I believe or I don't believe. And today, Jesus is inviting you into a relationship that Jesus says to you, Simply confess that you've done wrong, you've been a sinner, and that I died for you, and believe 
that I rose again for you. Just turn from your sins, say your story, and Jesus, I want you to forgive me my sins and come into my life. And you're inviting Jesus, a person, into your life. You're not believing creeds and all of that. That's, it's, it's a person. The creeds come out of that. What's your story today? I invite you to stand as the worship team comes and leads us in a couple songs, and then we're going to have some baptisms. I'm going to invite you at this time, let's take a time uh, to respond to, to God. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to bow your heads. And if Jesus is in your story, would you thank him and praise him that your eyes have been opened to that wonderful reality that he rose again and he's coming back for you. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, would you take that step? Will you say as best you can, Jesus, I believe, come into my life. 